What's up? Welcome back to Microfamous. I want to talk about pre-launch mistakes. And the reason I want to cover this is because it's such a big fear. I mean, it might even be the biggest fear in launching a podcast which is that it just fails to attract an audience and it falls flat. Uh, so I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit and I'm going to share the biggest mistakes I've uncovered in you know five years plus of launching podcasts for super niche business coaches, consultants, and thought leader types. So there's no theory, just real mistakes that real people make in launching their podcasts and how to avoid them. And we're going to start with number one, which is not having a feedback mechanism for the audience prior to launch. And this is definitely one of the easiest and most common mistakes I see because asking for for feedback during the launch of your podcast can be messy and it gives other people a voice into something that feels very, very personal, right? Your podcast brand <clears throat> is very, very personal. One of my friends uh, launched a podcast and he said he almost pulled the plug on the launch on the, the night before his podcast went live. And, you know, I asked him, well, why? You know, this is one of the most confident, self-assured people I've ever run across and launching a podcast was freaking him out. And he said, honestly, you know, he's, I've, I've worked for big companies. I've done a lot of really, really cool things. I've been in public, you know, I've had a lot of responsibility on me, but this is the first thing I put into the world that had my name and my reputation on it 100%. There was no one else and nothing else to stand on. It was all me. So that it's, it's just it, a podcast launch can feel very personal. And so when it feels that personal, we can sometimes have a hard time letting go and letting other people have input into that. Um, but what if we knew that we had an audience of people waiting who already love the show title because they helped pick it out. They love the artwork because they helped pick it out. They know what guests and topics are coming up because they were tested before the launch. And we got feedback from the audience. You know, that changes everything. Not only does it give us the assurance that the podcast launch is going to be a success, it, in my opinion, it actually results in a better show. Uh, just one example, our agency launched a podcast for a consultant in the healthcare space, and we did several things differently than I might have done, you know, in the past. And, and definitely with my own podcast, I didn't test any of that stuff. Uh, we just came out of the gate with what we thought was was best. But um, so this podcast launched for a consultant in the healthcare space, we tested things like terminology. So you think, you know, I was thinking of, you know, podcast title that, that piggybacked off the word doctor. Well, we tested that and it turns out that her audience prefers the word physicians. Apparently the word doctor carries all sorts of associations that I personally didn't expect. And even my client was surprised by. And then we also came up with our podcast titles uh, based on that feedback. And we put two very different podcast titles out to her social media following for a vote. She and I both thought that one particular title would win, and it turns out her audience overwhelmingly voted for the other one. And we were humble enough to go with the audience winner. Now, as a result, when the podcast comes out, she immediately hits the ground running. She has great reviews, great downloads, great shares on social media. She had people sharing it into niche Facebook groups full of potential listeners. So those good things came about because we got audience feedback at, on really critical things in the early stages of launching a podcast, even down to the very terminology that we use and what we called the audience, right? Physicians versus doctors seems like a simple thing, but nothing is that simple. So you want to check with your audience and get their input. So here's the takeaway. Get feedback, get input from your ideal listeners early and often, get them involved in every aspect of the podcast well in advance. Now let's get into mistake number two which is consistency over custom. And this is really tempting for anyone who loves their brand. So a new podcast needs to stand out visually and deliver a clear benefit. So basing a podcast around an existing company brand uh, often results in a podcast that fails to do either one of those. It doesn't stand out visually or deliver a clear benefit. Um, maybe some other podcast has, you know, similar colors or similar, uh, you know, branding 
to your company brand. Uh, maybe another podcast uses a similar theme or promises a similar benefit. Uh, one of the worst things you can do is just ignore the competition and slap a brand on a podcast uh, and count on your brand to carry a new podcast to success. It's not going to work like that. It's actually better to start from the ground up and create a podcast brand that stands alone. And then maybe you add your logo to the corner, you put it in the description or, you know, your company name in the description, whatever. If the podcast doesn't build an audience, it doesn't matter how consistent the podcast is with your brand. And that's what I mean by consistency is people focus so much because they love their brand and they think everything online needs to be consistent with their brand. I disagree. And I'm the king of being clear. Uh, it's not about that, but it's about building a podcast that has the best chance to get traction, attract an audience, pull that audience in and get them to subscribe. And if your first priority is the podcast being consistent with your overall brand that are in other places, and it hurts the podcast to the point where the podcast it looks too similar to what else is out there, or it's indistinguishable, it doesn't stand out, it doesn't really grab attention. If it doesn't do any of those things, then it doesn't matter how consistent it is with your brand. So I'll give you a, a real client example here. We launched a podcast years ago called the Team Building Podcast. It's one of my favorites. It's one that I actually co-hosted for a couple of years with, with uh, my partner on that because I was a partner in his coaching and consulting business behind the scenes for a while. And it's for a very, very specific audience. It's for high producing real estate agents looking to build teams around them. Super, super niche. But we didn't name the podcast after the consulting business. We gave the podcast its own name designed to stand out against other podcasts. And then eventually we just kind of put the show logo kind of in the corner and we used colors that were overall consistent with the brand, but we didn't lead with the brand. We didn't name the podcast after the coaching consulting company. Because it's rare, like when you start a company, sometimes you just start the company and you don't really think about the, you know, the words that it's conveying. Sometimes it's just, you know, uh, kind of based off of something you have on your mind at the time. Uh, when you go to launch a podcast, it needs to be very clear. It needs to stand out visually and it has to deliver and offer a big promise, a big benefit of what they're going to get by listening to the podcast. If doing something and, and putting your existing brand on that podcast doesn't do those things, then drop the brand for now and get a podcast that does stand out and then just lead them to your brand in other ways. So the takeaway is create a custom podcast brand. The priority is to stand out and attract the audience and then send those people to your website through a call to action and people will see your brand there. Don't choose consistency over custom. Now let's move on to mistake number three, which is uh, not aiming at building a cult following first. So the best way to think about launching a successful podcast is to treat it like a band promoting their music, right? Bands understand and, and they proudly build a cult following first and then they work on going mainstream, right? In fact, the music that eventually goes mainstream always starts by repelling most people who hear it. You know, think of, uh, of the reaction that Elvis first caused when he came out, you know, with all the, the hips and the suggestiveness that was, you know, beyond the pale for the for those days. And then you had a, a repeat of that with Nirvana, you know, when when all the hair metal guys in the 80s heard Nirvana, they're like, Oh, man, this is this is bad news, because they understood it was com so completely different, that it was it was drawing a completely different group of people. So if you aim at building a cult falling first is going to go a lot better for you. One of the most common mistakes I see in the podcast world is just trying to aim the podcast at a mainstream audience right away. I call that trying to run before you crawl. 
What that does is it creates this pressure to appeal to everyone, to appeal to a mainstream audience. And so podcast hosts end up diluting their podcast in everything from the title to the artwork, to the content, to the guests, to whatever. And their podcast ends up being so broad and bland that it doesn't appeal strongly to anyone. So if your podcast brand doesn't turn off the wrong people immediately, it's not going to attract the right people immediately either. Those two forces are directly related. To strongly attract the right people, we have to strongly push the wrong people away. Right? You have to be willing, able, and, and equipped to do that. So when I tell certain people that my podcast is called Micro Famous, their first response is, well, why would I want to be micro famous when I can be famous to everyone? Now, what's hilarious is inevitably those people are extroverts and, and I would say ego-driven, which is exactly the people I'm trying to repel. They're not my people. You know, some people will ask me a little bit more about the podcast and I'll explain that, well, it's mainly for introverted coaches and consultants and their first response is, well, can introverts even be good at marketing? Although, aren't they all just quiet and shy? And obviously, if you're an introvert, you know that's not true. So again, my podcast pushes the wrong people away, the people that have the wrong perceptions or they're just the wrong personality type. It pushes them away. But when I speak to the right people, they go, oh my God, there's nothing else out there like that. Wow. Like I didn't even know a podcast like that existed. Where do I go for more? That's the response that you're looking for. So the takeaway here is aim your podcast at a cult following first. That should be the first goal. Build your cult following. Niche down or niche down until you strongly repel the wrong people and strongly attract the right people. Moving on to mistake number four, obsessing over tech rather than content. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you're, you're probably, you know, you've already built a, a successful business. Most likely you want to teach entrepreneurs uh, to do what you've done which means you're probably in a situation where you have more money than time. That's most of my clients. They have more money than time. So oftentimes their first reaction when they think about getting into podcasting is, well, let's go, let's go drop a few thousand and get, let's get the best podcast gear. I have to remind them that Tim Ferriss has millions upon millions of downloads and he records most of his episodes with a Shure SM58, which is, costs about a hundred bucks. And it's the, it's the band that, uh, or it's the microphone that, um, bands used to tour with, right? It's built like a tank. You can literally throw it on the, on the stage. You can, you can have it in the rain uh, and it, it just doesn't break. And it sounds good, but not exceptional. It doesn't sound like it's an NPR, you know, uh, quality microphone. Uh, but you can even use it to record it in a hot tub, uh, which Tim Ferriss hilariously did uh, with Rick Rubin. That's a great episode. You should go listen to that. Um, but you can, and you can tell the, you can tell that the audio is, Great for podcasting, but it doesn't need to be absolutely pristine. You know, I started my podcast with a higher end uh, vocal microphone that I had left over from, I, I bought it originally to record vocals for a music album. I used it for that purpose. And so I had it uh, still when I got into podcasting and I used that for the first year, year and a half of podcasting. And then I just realized that my co-host actually sounded better than I did. And he spent less on the microphone. So I asked him what he was using. Oh, he said, oh, it's this Audio-Technica ATR 2100. It's like 80 bucks on Amazon. You should go check it out. So I get it and it's perfect. It's not overly sensitive. It only picks up what's right in front of it. It's perfect for podcasting because in podcasting, when you're a coach or a consultant, your environment is really perfect. You're not sitting in an NPR recording studio. You're not, you're not sitting in Joe Rogan's custom built for purpose recording studio. You know, you're at your desk, which is all hard surfaces that bounce sound around and you're in your house that has all hardwood floors or you're in a hotel lobby uh, or you're in your car as one of my clients has done. Uh, in other words, the, the gear that works in the real world for podcast hosts isn't necessarily the most expensive. And so it's easy to obsess over recording platforms, you know, looking for the most pristine audio and the highest bit rate and all this stuff. But it's not, it's not about getting the, the most expensive microphone. 
It's not even uh, you know the, the greatest platform. I recommend that my clients record on Zoom. A lot of times they're inviting guests into their podcast and people are very familiar, especially now with Zoom, much more familiar than you know Squadcast or Zencast or Riverside or all these other options where they get that invite and they're like, what the heck is this? Like I, they don't even know what to do with it. Yeah, maybe they click on the link correctly, maybe they don't. So when you're interviewing guests, using all those options can actually create more issues than they are worth. So I recommend using a simple, reliable system that everybody knows, especially for interviews. And that's more important than having pristine NPR in the studio type quality audio. So there's a point where the audience really can't tell the difference between good quality audio and amazing quality audio. And there's no sense in obsessing over your tech once you've hit the point where the audience doesn't care anymore. So here's the takeaway. Upgrade your gear where and when it makes sense, but don't obsess over it. Your audience only cares to a point. Now we've come to the final mistake and this is a big one. This is going it alone. The mistake is failing to build or tap into a network of fellow influencers to support your launch. Look, when you're launching a podcast, it's really easy to get tunnel vision, right? And you forget that you're going to launch. And when you're launching, you want other people to support you. Now, if you're in the info marketing world, this should sound very familiar, you know, because you've been bombarded with the product launch formula and stuff like that. That's, this is similar, but, but not anywhere near as scammy. And, um, uh, and it's not email based. Let's put it that way. So what you're looking for is other influencers in your space who have audiences that might be interested in your podcast. And those influencers might be willing to share your podcast with their audience, uh, most likely on social media. Most people never ask for this. So when they launch their podcast, essentially all of the weight on launching their podcast falls on them and their own reach, their email list, their social media, right? It doesn't take much to ask other influencers to get involved. And I want to give you a couple of examples. So when I launched my first solo podcast, this was uh, like over three years ago, I reached out to my clients and friends who had social media followings, and I just asked them very simply in advance, hey, would you be willing to share my podcast on the day it launches? As some agreed. I kept track of those and kept them up to date on the progress and launch. Then on launch day, I sent them text and graphics to share. And as a result, to a lot of people, it felt like my podcast was everywhere for the day of the launch and a couple of days after because they kept seeing it come up in the social media feeds of people that they followed. I did the same later for the launch of the Microfamous book. This was last year. And this time I pushed it a little bit further. I recorded two different voice messages through Facebook Messenger and I sent them to myself. Now, this is a ninja trick. I love this. So I, I have these two different messages. Each one was intended for people in two different groups of influencers, depending on how familiar we were with each other, right? Like how close they were to me. So one message was super, super personal, super informal. The other one was a little bit more formal, right? For people I didn't know quite as well. So I had these two different messages. So I sent a message, depending on who they were, I sent a voice message to everyone in my, you know, key relationships. I call them my top 150. You might call them your A's or something different. But basically, it's just the inner circle. You know, the, the people that if they called randomly out of the blue, I would take a phone call from them. And me being an introvert, that's not everyone. So for those people, I sent the super, super personal, really informal message. Then I also took a list of other influencers in my space or previous, you know, uh, people that I'd met like through previous podcasts that I'd hosted or whatever, just people that I'd met over the years in the industry. I didn't know them quite as well. So I sent them the message that was a little bit more formal. But what I asked them was really simple. 
I just basically said like, hey, I'm working on a book. We're about to launch it here in the, in the next few months. Uh, you know, I'd love to send you a chapter, you know, that I think would really resonate with you. See what you think. If you like it, I'd appreciate just some sort of short blurb that I could post. Um, and if you're willing, let me know and I'll send you over the chapter that I had in mind. Very, very simple. Not only did I get a ton of positive response from that, they agreed, I sent it over, they actually followed through, they read the chapter, they gave me the blurb. Then when the book launched and I was doing the bestseller launch, I followed up with all of them and I said, hey, I just launched the book today on Amazon. If you could do me a huge favor, I'm gonna give you the blurb that you gave me about the book earlier. And if you could just go to Amazon real quick, here's the link and just put that in as a review, that would be huge, I'd really appreciate it. Again, super simple. But essentially, it was like calling in favors. These are people that I had done similar things for in the past. They knew me or they knew of me or whatever the case was. And so I got a ton of great reviews and feedback on the book right out of the gate. So the takeaway for this one is leverage your network, right? Leverage the influencers that you know and get them involved in promoting your launch. Don't launch alone. So that's what I've got for you. These are the five pre-launch mistakes that will sabotage your podcast before you go live. Don't make any of those. Um, obviously, in our agency, we work with our clients very closely to make sure those mistakes are never made. And these are all things I've learned the hard way over five years of launching shows. I didn't know any of this stuff when I launched my first show. We ended up being fine, but we had a lot of factors going for us that most people don't. We had access to a big email list. We were able to go live into uh, YouTube right away. And we had you know, we averaged four to 500 views on our very first initial episodes because of that combination of factors and the fact that my co-host was, you know, had some reputation and some clout in the industry already. Um, there was a lot of really interesting things that in retrospect, I realized that we accidentally got right. And a lot of things that we got completely wrong uh, and that I've learned over the years are were actually big mistakes and they just didn't uh, hurt us as much as they, because, you know, as they could have because we had other factors that offset it. But if you are you know, emerging into coaching, consulting, thought leadership, training, speaking, whatever, you don't have access to a big email list or a big social media audience, like these types of mistakes can really sink a podcast right out of the gate and almost guarantee that it falls flat and fails to find its audience. So with that being said, I appreciate you listening to it. Make sure to go leave a review or rating for the podcast if you enjoyed or share it with somebody that think we would get a lot out of this. And thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode of Microfamous.